Hi, everyone. I'm Mackie Craven, a partner here at OpenView. As a VC firm, we invest in business software companies at the expansion stage and work closely with their teams to help them build large and enduring businesses. This season of Build is dedicated to a topic we've become increasingly passionate about, product-led growth. Each week, I sit down with leaders from PLG companies to find out about what it took to build and scale their businesses, advice they would give their younger selves, and some pretty fun and surprising facts along the way. Now, on with the show. This episode of Build features GitLab's co-founder and CEO, Sid Sabrandi. GitLab is built with radical transparency at its core. The handbook is over 3,000 pages, the platform is open source, and they share their preferred companies to hire from, just to name a few examples. Sid also explains how they're able to ship more features every month than some competitors do in a full year, and why he believes values shouldn't be universally positive. Sid, really excited to have you on Build today. You know, for our listeners that aren't as familiar with GitLab, could you just, you know, in a few sentences, describe what the company's all about? Yeah, for sure. GitLab is a single application for the entire life cycle. It means that you can do everything you need to build and operate software in GitLab, all the way from planning what you want to build, creating it, packaging it, deploying it, monitoring, securing, and defending the software. That's fantastic. And, you know, we've known each other for a number of years. And one of the things I found most interesting about your history is, you know, you're not someone that's, well, you've been in software a long time, not always exclusively in software. You were even working on submarines for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience, you know, what you were doing and what drew you to it? Yeah, for sure. When I got out of university, I saw a submarine and the goal was to build a submarine for $20,000. And I thought that was marvelous. So I called and I called until I got hired. I was the first hire for the company. So I incorporated it. I hired a friend of mine. In the end, we ended up being responsible, he for the mechanical systems and me for the electrical systems. Obviously, in a submarine, the mechanical systems are much more critical. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of mistakes along the way. We had to kind of start from scratch at a certain point, but the investor faith in us and U-Boat Works now sells the most submarines. We did fill our price target by two orders of magnitude. They're $2 million now. But you can go on cruises and there's a submarine hanging off the back and you can take a dive. So it's been a really interesting thing. And that was my reason for doing it. I thought this would be very interesting and a good story to tell. And that did turn out that way. That's fantastic. What were some of those key learnings in building submarines and, and whether you've been able to take them to building GitLab or just take them you know, more generally into your life? It's a, a fairly ambitious project. Yeah. One of the main mistakes we made was we know that there was certification for submarines and you needed that for insurance. But the insurance wasn't required legally. So we're like, well, we can build it without it and build it way more affordable. Turns out anyone who can afford to buy and operate a submarine does want the insurance. So we might have made a big error there. I'm not sure there's a lot of lessons. It was a lot of fun to kind of get into new disciplines. And it was great to kind of not give up. At a certain point, we were going to build them in Thailand. We got into a major dispute with our local contractor we had to like leave the country, leave most of it behind and start from scratch. And that was like rock bottom. But in hindsight, it was great that we got the opportunity, but also we had the faith to 
give it one more try. Building anything takes grit, whether it's submarines with a remarkably low you know, budget and price target or software companies. And so how did the idea for GitLab you know, come to be? And why did you decide this is really the company that you wanted to be building? Yeah, so GitLab started as an open source project by my co-founder, Dimitri. He built it because he needed it himself. He needed better collaboration software at work and running water at his home. And he decided to tackle the thing that he didn't need a budget for. I saw it when it was one year old. And by then, already 300 people contributed to it. And I thought it was amazing because all of the software I used was open source, except for the collaboration software I used. And to see that that was open source as well, it made so much sense that something you collaborate with is something you can contribute back to. So I thought this is going to be big. And I started a company around it. You know, from that point to today, obviously there's been tremendous growth on almost every vector. But as, as you step back and, and maybe think about your design principles for the business, right? Things you believe in and, and guide you as you build. What are the things that stand out? What are those principles? Our top three values are results, transparency, and iteration. Results maybe speak for themselves, but on a day-to-day basis, it's really good to remind people like, hey, what we're going for is incremental ACV. How is this going to contribute to that? Transparency is something we're known for. We're very public about how we operate the company. We have a handbook of more than 3,000 pages with everything that happens in the company. We have compensation calculators on our job families, things like that. With iteration, it's our hardest to understand value and our hardest to practice value. It's a very important part of GitLab. We ship more new features every month than some of our competitors do in a year, maybe all of our competitors. And that's only possible because we constrain ourselves. We say, okay, we're going to make something really quickly and we're just going to reduce scope to hit the deadline. And that is very painful and sometimes a bit shameful where you're shipping something you're not very proud of. It works, it's secure, it's of high quality, it has tests, but it's just such a small unit of functionality. But because we hit our deadline, we get the chance to improve it the next month and the month after, and we get it much more rapidly to something that is useful. And it's been the most counterintuitive thing to learn and to teach people who are new to the company. And it makes sense, right, if you think about sort of principles around continuous rapid improvement, and particularly when you have a product that folks can you know, engage with both open source and commercially to create that better and better experience over time. But as you go back to think about how you came to, to these three, to results, to transparency, to iteration, did you know those were the pillars you wanted to build the company around going in, or did those develop over time? They developed over time. We started a company in 2012, I think in 2015, when we were nine people and doing Y Combinator, we wrote down our values. There were 13 of them. That was an omen that they were a bit too hard to remember. So at a certain point, we consolidated them. And later on, we made a hierarchy of them. So it was something that developed over time. And I think the interesting thing is that our values became stronger over time. They became better articulated. We continually kind of improve the page on which we list them and give more examples. But we also find more and more ways to reinforce them. 
So we now have 11 ways in which we reinforce them. And I think in most companies, if you're not reinforcing them, if you're not continually kind of adding examples, the values tend to become less strong over time. I think at GitLab, they've become stronger over time. I'm definitely curious, as you went from 13 to 3, as you went from you know 3, perhaps non-prioritized to prioritized, what are some of the impacts that you've seen in the company, in the way that people interact with each other, in the way that people interact with prospects and customers and users? I think that people that apply to the company say, hey, the values were brought up in every single interview. Not as the values, but a value came up in every single interview. It's also that people join the company because of the values, and that really helps to strengthen them. People kind of opt in or opt out to the values before they decide to kind of join. People who don't like transparency will likely not apply at GitLab. We also get better at interviewing for them. So I think they're shining too in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been our experience as well across you know the companies that we have the opportunity and, and honor to work with, that not just stating them, but living them and integrating values into one's culture and, and day-to-day operations serves. I think a lot of people talk about values as a beacon. I think of it as a magnet, but most folks don't think about both sides of the magnet, right? It's both something to attract those that are like-minded, but also naturally right, allows you to really only focus on potential candidates and folks to be a part of the company that share those values. It'll sort of repel those, you know, individuals that may not be totally aligned with what you want to build. And I think the fact that it goes both ways is not always fully appreciated, but it's great to hear you're thinking about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people choose values that are so common that it's almost like no one has the opposite value. We call that permission to play. Of course, you want people who are truthful, But good values, you can have the exact opposite set of values and still be a very successful company. You could imagine that at Apple, I don't know their exact values, but transparency, I'm sure, is not one of their values. They like surprises for surprising and delighting the world. And I'm sure iteration is not one of their values. They want perfection. They want something that is so good that it's light years ahead of what everyone else made. So they have opposite values and they're much more successful than us. So I think values are not just things that are universally positive. They're a way indeed to kind of filter and get together a group of people who share things and have distributed decision-making framework because they know what to do in situations and that makes them more effective. But it's not that you can be equally effective with a different set of values or an opposite set of values. And looking at the set, right, the one, and you mentioned this as well, from the outside in, whether from a candidate perspective, a customer perspective, or even a competitor, right, perspective in the market that jumps off the page is transparency, how important it is and and how much it pervades everything that seems to happen at GitLab. You know, what's your perspective on, obviously, the tremendous benefits that that's sort of built for you in the business, but also on that, the costs or or the challenges that maybe, you know, you've had to navigate through that a business who doesn't hold transparency as you know their number two value or, or as core to what they're building, you know, might not. Yeah, you continuously have to kind of keep pushing it. And for example, I had a really great candidate for a job, but she remarked a couple of times, like, hey, giving that information might confuse people. And she's right, it might confuse people. 
we're still going to do it because transparency is one of our values. And we think confusion can be solved with kind of more information and ex more explanation and interacting. But that's not the default way to fix things in the world. We continually have to kind of think through things. For example, right now we're working on a page with preferred companies to hire from. So our recruiters go after certain people at certain companies because we think people at those companies are a better fit than average. Now, that list probably exists in most companies, but putting that list out there, I'm not sure what the response will be. I think we're going to get into a bit of trouble, but also hopefully some people will see the list and say, hey, I work at that company. I have a leg up when I apply to GitLab, and it will be that thing that causes them to apply. So it's a thing we have to live every day. Just two days ago, someone said, okay, yeah, yeah, I changed that process, and I'll document it in the handbook later. And we have to remind, no, we're handbook first. If changing the handbook is the same as changing the process, you cannot change the process without changing the handbook. And that's not intuitive to people, and it's something that I have to talk about every single day. And when you were first talking about these three values, you mentioned that iteration was both the hardest to explain occasionally and certainly the hardest for new employees to truly internalize. As you think about the journey of not just the company, but the evolution of the product, could you just talk a little bit more about how that iterative approach and how having it be a core value has enabled you to achieve what you have? Yeah, I think it's allowed us to ship an enormous amount of value to our customers. But let me give an example of how painful it sometimes is. GitLab was built on a technology called Gitolite, and it's thousands of lines of Perl code to manage access to repositories. And we were built on that, and we were focused on adding functionality on top. But every single change to permissions in GitLab had to go to one central Git repo. So some of our customers had thousands of people on GitLab and they had to buy special servers. At that time, SSDs were still very expensive. So they had to buy special SSD drives in order to kind of make it faster to change that repository because that was the bottleneck of adding another thousand users on top. Like that is a shameful underpinning of software, but because we kept focusing on adding value for customers, we got to the point where we could hire enough people to kind of make that change. We're now trying to replace every single DevOps tool with a single application. That is a delusionally big ambition for a company of right now we're 800 people. But we can do that because we're able to kind of take the first bite out of a problem. And then we have a wider community that helps us. Over the last half year, that's grown from 100 contributions every month to now 200 improvements every month that are coming from the users of GitLab. So kind of prioritizing breadth over depth has allowed us to kind of tackle a lot more than we ever thought was possible. It's fantastic to see not just the breadth of contribution, but obviously the rate of change there is, you know, is remarkable. As you think about what's allowed you to do that, you know, not just talking about the design principles of the business and of the culture, but of the product itself, and in particular, this sort of idea of, of product-led growth, I'd, I'd be curious you know, what that means to you and, and what it's meant for GitLab. Yeah, I think as an open source company or an open core company, some of GitLab is proprietary and you pay for it. But 
the big advantage you have is distribution. People are familiar with open source licenses and a lot of companies default to open source software. So that allows you to be a product first company. It allows you to first get a lot of different customers. When we were at Y Combinator, we were three years into the business. We were bootstrapped. I put $100,000 in. We're nine people. We already had more than 100,000 organizations using GitLab, including like Fortune 1 companies. So to get to that stage with such a small team, that's only possible because of open source. And that allows you to be a product-first company where most of the people are in engineering. It's absolutely a tremendous advantage of the open source model. And along with that, there's many characteristics, certainly, that we've observed in product-led companies. But you know, the, the three that have stood out to me over time as those that are you know, components of some of the most successful product-led companies are you know, delivering value to users before you look to capture that value. You know, focusing on customer success of not just an organization, but of individuals throughout their journey, you know, before their users, through usage, and, and perhaps through sort of the life cycle of paying as buyers. And then, you know, perhaps building systems of experimentation to continue to learn and iterate through the product. And, and so as you think about those ideas for GitLab, are there any that you find resonate more strongly or frankly that you think have had a tremendous impact on the growth to date? I don't think we focused a lot on making users successful before they use the product. I assume that a huge part of that is content marketing. We focus on the product a lot. I think maybe with transparency, we are trying to make people successful in running startups, basically. But that's more of a side effect, and it wasn't there so early. We don't experiment a lot. Experimentation allows you to get to perfect, but it reduces kind of your velocity and velocity is key to what we do. I do very much believe in creating more value than you capture. I think that's an essential part of open source. And if you look at us, we capture 10 times less value. Our rake is 10 times lower than that of proprietary competitors. So we have to make sure we, we just create a whole ton of value. Luckily, kind of software is eating the world. DevOps is the way to make it and a single application is a lot easier to use than 15 different tools. So luckily, there's a big total addressable market out there for our software because that's what you need if you're going to lower your capture. Look, it's a great set of macro trends to be building around and data rate. One thing I'm curious about, right, you mentioned that experimentation is in some sense a prerequisite or, or aligned much more towards reaching, as you said, perfection rather than iteration. But sort of the process of experimentation, if folks are you know doing it more scientifically than just sort of making changes and seeing what happens, also can create sort of downstream mechanisms of, of feedback. And as you think about iteration, you know, observing changes in not just the product but in the value that's delivered through that iteration, how do you think about structuring feedback from users, from customers, whether you know on the open source side or, or on the commercial side? with this rapid pace? Feedback is essential. We gather a lot of feedback through our open issue trackers. So our mission is everyone can contribute and it's not just code, it's also ideas. And if our salespeople have a suggestion from a customer, they create or find the relevant issue, they make sure it's clear what the need is and they put a Salesforce link in there so that if you work at GitLab, you can find out who the customer was. 
because sometimes customers opt to kind of engage in that issue. We sometimes have engineers saying, hey, who's this person giving me all this feedback? And sometimes they end up not working at GitLab. We have a great UX team and they, they look at our usability scores of our product and they give a lot of feedback about what we should improve. I think that's led to like great improvements. Like I think we now have the best navigation of any of our competitors. I think of experimentation versus iteration. Experimentation means you kind of say, okay, I want to walk. I don't know my where I'm going to walk to exactly, so I'm going to pick three potential places, A, B, or C, and I'm going to find out which is the right one, and then I'm going to walk straight to there, or I'm going to teleport almost there. With iteration, it's more like, okay, I know my general direction. I'm just going to start walking. And then as I get closer, I hope that I'll better be able to orient myself. So as you get closer, you kind of say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of off. I should direct a bit more this way or that way. So with experimentation, you kind of have to do three walks and then select which one is the best. With iteration, you're not walking in a straight line. I do think kind of being off by 45 degrees at any time gets you there quicker than having to do the same walk three times. But the disadvantages is that customers can see you're kind of not walking in a straight line. So you look a bit intoxicated. So that's the low level of shame that comes with iteration. The advantage is we can get to a target a lot faster. As a former engineer myself, I certainly have felt the bias of, of working too long and too hard trying to make something, let's say, either the architecture proper or, or feel great about it. Both in the in the interview process as folks come on, but also, as you said, as folks get ingrained in the culture of focusing on iteration as opposed to experimentation, how do you emphasize that and how do you reinforce it, particularly with respect to the product and product development? I'll give you an example. So today we talked about marketplaces. Some of our competitors have marketplaces. We might have one in the future or not. I think there's some interesting aspects to open source that make a marketplace less attractive. But I implored uh, the people to not keep just thinking about that because we're not going to solve whether we need a marketplace in three years. It doesn't matter. We do know we have technology partners today, and we know that web page doesn't really highlight the best partners well. Just groups them all together. There's like 15 Android apps for GitLab on that page, and you don't know which one is like the best and most actively maintained. So let's make an improvement to that page today instead of trying to figure out where we're going to be in three years. It's a daily thing. It was the last call I had before this interview. That's great. That's a great example and, and certainly brings the principle to light. As you reflect back on the journey since 2012, right, really the, you know, the last nearly seven years there, you've obviously learned an incredible amount. But you know, what advice would you give to yourself before beginning the GitLab journey that you believe in quite strongly today, but almost certainly would have ignored before starting? Yeah, so we learned two big things. I'm not sure I would have believed that advice if someone would have given it to me. The first thing we learned is that self-managed was a lot bigger than we thought. In 2012, I thought like .com is the future, Salesforce is the future. I'm, I'm sitting here next to the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. Turns out of DevOps, a lot is still managed by companies themselves. It runs in the cloud, but on a single tenant instance managed by the customer. So we changed our model to be able to accommodate that as well. The second thing is that a single application is so much better than 10 well-integrated applications. 
we're competing not so much with a single competitor. We're competing with the homegrown DevOps platform. Every significant organization in the world has selected their 10 or 15 or 20 preferred point solutions. So these are the ones we prefer, and we're going to integrate all of them. And that's what we did too in the beginning. We met GitLab Source Control and GitLab CI, and we said, we're going to integrate these so well, it's going to be perfect. And they had single sign-on, custom APIs to make exchange of data seamless. And then when we made them a single application, it was so much better. And we were kind of puzzled, except for Camille. Camille knew it up front, he told us. But we didn't believe him. But when we saw the result, we realized like having everything in a single data store, having everything in a single interface, having everything behind one login just allows you to be on the same page. You don't have to wait for the handoff from another tool. You always see things in context. You don't have to go to another interface. It's much easier to kind of adopt DevOps best practices. And to this day, that's something we struggle to explain, but it's something that is true. And you now see the entire market starting to realize that and starting to add more to applications. We could have realized it earlier. We did realize it as the first player in the marketplace, and we doubled down on it. What caused you on that second point to move from having them be separate, but let's say you know easily connected applications to a single application? Did you have the insight before or after you made that change? After. So it came from Camille. Camille came into the organization because he made a better version of our built agent, GitLab Runner. So out of the blue, he launches his software project. We're like, wow, this is so much better than what we built. We're going to make this the official one and deprecate ours. By the way, do you want to join the company? And luckily, he agreed. And then a few months in, he said, look, we got to integrate these two applications we have. And Dimitri explained how he's wrong. We made like the perfect integration. You could only use GitLab CI with GitLab source control and like single sign-on, which is perfect. I also explained to him how he was wrong. No one was doing this in the marketplace. All our customers wanted to mix and match. No one had source control with CI. It's like so radically different things. It doesn't make sense. It's like having a popcorn stand on your bicycle. Like just didn't make sense. He said, well, you might not believe the advantages, but do believe it's less work because we only have to maintain a single application instead of two. And there's a lot of overlap in the rails dependencies and everything else. And that was a good argument. And efficiency is one of our six values. So we're like, okay, well, yeah, he's right. It is less work. It would be more efficient. And so we did it. And then it turned out he was totally right. That's awesome. And it's also fantastic to hear the impact, right? Where you know, he'd built this you know, independently and became sort of the frontline app. And it sounds like he's been driving the architecture since. It's great to have a culture that's that empowering. Well, look, it's been wonderful to hear about your journey as an entrepreneur, the evolution of GitLab, but in particular, the design principles, both for the company and for the product. It's clear you've learned a ton from your own individual experience. But as you reflect back on your education, you know, is there a favorite teacher or, or professor that you have growing up? You know, and if so, would love to hear kind of who they are and, and a little bit about why they you know, hold that space in your mind and in your heart. Yeah, so I had an elementary school teacher who like introduced us to computers, filled the MSX, an old kind of computer that for sure was popular in Europe. So that was a big change in my life. 
and I'm very grateful for him kind of doing that on his own dime and on his own time because it was not part of the curriculum. So that was a great benefit. That's fantastic. And, you know, having those special educators can, can go a long way. And for me, you know, thinking back on this, it's uh, a gentleman named Mr. Freeman sort of had two roles. I was 12. He was both my math teacher as well as sort of the, let's say the version of a homeroom class teacher that my school had at the time and was the first person to show me all of the creativity and other sides that go into mathematics as opposed to sort of the algorithmic approach and, and also really served as, as just a, a great individual kind of adult male figure with, uh, you know, being raised by a single mom. And, you know, I ended up being a a math major at MIT and, you know, continuing to follow that passion, at least a, a little bit on the side today. So he just had a, a tremendous impact on my life and my development, both, you know, as a student and then as, as a person more fully. So, you know, I feel really fortunate to have someone like that in, in my experience. And, and it sounds like you had someone who, you know, turns you on to sort of computers and programming more broadly and, and technology. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, uh, Mr. Scott for that. Well, look, Sid, thank you so much for taking the time today to join us on Build, you know, share your story and share a little bit about what GitLab itself is all about. Yeah, Mackie, I really appreciate the interview and the chance to talk about GitLab. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners, it's Kyle from OpenView. I wanted to give you all a heads up about our upcoming product-led growth summit in San Francisco on November 13th. There's an amazing lineup of speakers from companies like Slack, SurveyMonkey, Rothy's, Expensify, and many more. Get your ticket at plgsummit.eventbrite.com and use code BUILD for 50% off. Hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to BUILD on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite purveyor of podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that's read by over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Also, while you're there, check out new content daily on our blog. Until next time, 